to as Doe to protect their identity from now on. Hints of this character's appearance can be found throughout the story. This story will also be graphic to some listeners because it's a story containing homicide and graphic details. Fenwick is a compact cosmopolitan town located in the country of Holly Hills, United States of America. The population, 200 people. With a town and population this small, everyone knows one another. Everyone hears everything, and everyone knows everything. This is why the whole town had a massive panic. The news spread that a body was found, and the authorities suspected it to be foul play. The body was that of Casey Key well known for being one of the nicest and sweetest girls in town. Little did everyone know, this was the beginning of a string of murders. Women who died in the hands of a serial killer who would be named the Honey Killer. It was after the death of the fifth victim, Becky Williams, where our story truly starts. It was their senior year of high school when they met Evangeline Angel Thunderand. She is a transfer student in Paris. Doe was the one assigned to show her around, show her the schedule, and helped her settle in. The two quickly found out that they had absolutely nothing in common. Complete opposites, and yet they got along great. The two somehow talked and talked for hours. They quickly became friends. They would talk daily and nightly, every day. And on weekends, holidays, and breaks, the two would always have plans with each other, whether it be sleepovers, hangouts, going to restaurants going to the movie theaters. They were always talking and always together. Thankfully, at the time, the murders ended. But they haven't found the murderer. The town was silent, but that didn't matter to the teens at the time. They were enjoying life and enjoying each other's company. Weeks turned into months, and months turned into years. Two years has gone by since the murders, and two years since the two met. Their relationship escalated from friends to best friends, until one day, Doe worked up the courage and confessed to Angel that they liked her. Their friendship turns into the perfect relationship. The two loved each other greatly, and the whole two, the whole town knew their love. They were given strange looks as well because again, the two were opposites. Angela was popular in the school. She was kind and charismatic, 
she was a fast learner and was precise and always on time. She was athletic and beautiful too, almost like a classic mean girl, but except on me. Doe, however, wasn't popular at all. They were only kind and caring with their loved ones. They are hard-headed. They procrastinate sometimes and are also late. They are not athletic and they are quote-unquote decent-looking. Again, despite these differences, they were inseparable. Then, on May 24, 2016, Angel was found face down in an alleyway she used as a shortcut from her apartment to her place of work. She had become the third. She had become the sixth victim to the honey killer. All the evidence pointed to him. She was alone, of course, at the time of the assault. She was his favorite type of person to kill. A nice girl. And of course, the signature that earned him his name. The forensics test results always popped up with traces of honey in their digestive system. However, this was not possible for Angel to have consumed anything containing honey because I apologize after everything I've gone on. Of course, she could have consumed something containing honey because she works in a small cafe but this was highly unlikely due to the fact that Angel had a rare case of honey allergies. The news spread like wildfire. Seemingly immediately, newspaper headlines had the words, Honey killer out of hibernation, back to claim more lives, in big bold letters. Doe was heartbroken. The lover had just died in the oath climbing hands of a murderer, whom the whole town thought had retired. The authorities were already on stage five of homicide investigation, investigative considerations. This involved search warrants, witnesses, and documenting the crime scene. For some, this job would be a hassle, but not for Davy Jonas. Some would say it took the job because he had a flame, a passion. Others say it was because it paid well. The truth is, it was a little bit of both, but mainly because he gives to give others closure. He gets to help, comfort, and be a hero. This was not for ego, no. He was always admired. He has always admired heroes, whether they be real or ones in fiction. Now, he was the one assigned to this case. He just finished interrogating an ex-boyfriend of Angel's when he walked out of the interrogation room. Anything new? He asked his partner. No, she answered blandly. It's been a long time since you've gotten some sleep, Hannah. You should go do that. I'll handle this for now. She looked up at him, surprised. You're sure you can handle this alone? Yeah, 
Just be sure to be back tomorrow, he smiled. Thank you, she darted up and stumbled as she did so. Oh, and I almost forgot. There's one last person to investigate. She pointed at someone in the waiting room. The person noticed and stood up swiftly. They had a frail frame and messy brown hair. Eyes filled with sorrow, bloodshot as if they hadn't slept or have been crying for a long period of time. They were the lover of the victim before they died. There's a chance they might know something. I walked over to them and led them to the interrogation room and sat them down at the table. Good evening, Doe. My name is Davy Jonas, and I'm the detective assigned to this homicide case of Evangeline Dunderold. Now, before all this, did Evangeline act differently? Did she mention anyone? Anything? He asked. Well, they stuttered. She said she made a new friend, but I never got to know who. Before I could ask, she... She was... They stopped and started sobbing. I'm sorry, it's just... They paused. They passed some tissue to the morning lovebird. I just miss her. They finished as they wiped the tears away from their cheeks. I know. Now please, help us a little and please finish where you left off. He said in a gentle voice. I am... She was dead before I could ask her what their name was. That's right, you were the one who found the body. Yes. Can you please explain to me the events that led up to that moment? What were you doing? He asked, with his eyes, eyebrows knitted. Doe took a deep breath. I was returning from an errand. I, I was buying groceries, so the body wasn't in the alley when you left your apartment? I, uh, yes, yes, that's correct. Okay. In your groceries, did you buy any honey products? Maybe cereal, drinks, anything? No. They shook their head. No, of course not. She had a bad allergy to honey. Why are you asking me this? How is this related? Davy leaned back in his chair and exhaled. Do you think I killed her? More tears ran down their face. No. To me, it's obvious that you didn't. Still, we need your alibi. Is there someone who can confirm your alibi? He finished. Uh, yeah. One of my friends, Ethan, works at the grocery store. I talked to him for a while before I left. Okay. I believe that would be all. You may leave now. If anything happens or shows up, call us. We'll also keep you informed on news of this case as well. Thank you. He watched them walk out the door while wiping tears from their face once again. That was a weeping one, eh? Asked one of his co-workers. Don't phrase it like that. 
They just lost someone they loved. Have some respect. Jim was the name of the co-worker. He was a slacker too. The only reason why he stays here is because he is the captain's nephew. He was disrespectful too. Davy didn't like him. It got on his nerves, especially when he was making fun of the mourning relatives and friends of victims. A week goes by, and I get a phone call from an unknown number. It was Dylan. Hey, I have to show you something. Are you free at 3 p.m.? They asked. Um, Davy looked over to Hannah. I'm just sure he doesn't reply. Yes? Yes, I am. Okay, meet me at the Dunkin' Donuts on Clover Street. He wrote down the time and location of the meeting on his yellow intermediate pad. Okay, I'll see you there. And then they hung up. Slowly but surely, the clock in the office said 2.45 p.m. And that's when he decided to head off to the meeting. You arrived to see the same frail-looking teenager. You're early, they said, as he took a seat. Yeah. Do you want something? He asked, pointing towards the line in front of the counter. No, thank you. I just wanted to show you this. They pulled out a simple black college vinyl notebook from their bag. What is this? He asked as he picked up the book. It was her diary. I didn't know she had one, and I figured it might have some useful information inside, but I don't want to invade her personal space. He looked down at the table. That is under understandable. I respect that, he nodded. I really hope this has some useful information. Otherwise, I would have just invaded personal space with no, for no good reason. He said in an attempt to cheer them up. Doe gave a simple, short smirk. I think while we're here, should get some donuts. I'll pay, he said. Why? they asked, surprised. Well, I think we've earned it. You want some coffee too? This was a gloomy, cold day. The clouds looked like they wouldn't stop. They would start raining. And that it did. It wasn't drizzling. It wasn't hail, either. It was raining hard, but the noise and the impact was soft. Davy had no problem with the rain. He enjoyed it quite a lot. His donuts and coffee sitting in the passenger seat and the cup holders. Doe had insisted on walking back to the apartment because it wasn't so far from where they had the meeting. Doe never took the shortcut. By now the body would have been taken to the morgue and after that to the funeral homes. It was still painful though, remembering the dread of that moment as they turned the corner 
the shock and adrenaline rushing through their veins. The apartment didn't feel right either. The emptiness, the silence, it was all too much for them. Too sorrowful to bear. They laid in their bed for the rest of the day. And once again, tears ran down their face. They eventually fell into sleep. More weeks passed by. At this point, it's been two months, and still, there was nothing on the murderer. Why is it taking so long? Most would have given up at this point, Jim said. That made Davies' blood boil. Such disrespect, such carelessness. This made it very tempting not to sucker punch Jim in the face. Jim also started stealing cases. He would beg his uncle, the captain, to take people's places as a partner or detective of a case. This made work even more difficult. One of Davy's co-workers even quit because of how frustrating it was. Luckily, I managed to keep my place and my partner. For the past few weeks, we've been struggling to focus on our investigation. All because Jim kept on asking questions. Almost like a curious child, an annoying one with inappropriate questions. However, we were able to discover a few things. Evangeline thought she was being stopped in the days leading up to her murder. As Davy read the diary, something clicked in his head. What if the other girls experienced it too? What if they were down in their own diary? This could be a pattern. He stood up and asked the captain for search warrants immediately. The search warrants were for the victim's bedrooms and apartments. They didn't find a diary in case of keys or any other one. Ex sorry, I have to edit that out. They couldn't find a diary in case of keys and a couple others. But they did find a few diaries. He read through each one of them. It took a while, but it was there too. He was Every victim with a diary was certain that they were being stopped. One of the victims even described an event where someone was staring at the outside her window. This was a huge breakthrough. If they found out that Casey and the other ones without diaries had a stalker too, they might be able to crack the sooner rather than later. Somehow, word spread that they were close to solving it. There was even a rumor that we had found the guy. That led to a lot of visuals, visits, sorry, visits and phone calls. One caller in particular caught Davis' interest. A young man. He said that he was there with Casey when he noticed a man following them. 
even had a police, they even had a description, sorry. We brought him along with the art, artist of this de police department, and we got a sketch of the man. He looked like a simple, normal, boring man. The only defining thing about him was a mole right under his eye. Hannah said that she recognized him and immediately ran to her computer. The tension was so high, so high that David felt lightheaded. After a couple minutes, Hannah finishes searching and found it. The criminal's name was Richard Hunter, the honey killer who finally had a face put to him. Richard was in the criminal records, but he was a stalker and was even a suspect in murder. But he ran away and the authorities couldn't find him. That was ten years ago. There was a high chance he was back. They put up posters everywhere and the police were patrolling the streets, looking for him. It was a long before someone found him. He was spotted stalking another girl. The police were called and he put up a fight. There was nothing five cops couldn't handle. We brought him in and he surpri surprisingly admitted to the murders. He had no motive. He was just cold-hearted, hungry for blood. He went to trial and got life sentences, many of them. No chance of parole. Davy walked out of the courtroom to see none other than Bill. He approached them and gave them a hug. I hope you find some closure, he said to them as he seated next to them. It was silent for a while, and in that period of time, Bill felt peace. They felt complete. They felt relief. And yet, even more tears still streamed down their face. Thank you for helping me in this case. A diary was the diary you found was the most important piece of evidence in this case. Out of his bag, he took out the spir spiral black notebook. She wrote lovely things about you. She even wrote a few stories in there. I think you should keep it. I took out the pages containing evidence. Dos sobbed as I looked through the notebook, most likely remembering all the nice things written in there. Thanks, thanks again for helping me, Max. There's only sudden sobs. In his best efforts, Davy's mind scrambled to find something that might help. The question popped up. What do you miss the most about her? was the first thing that came to mind. Sometimes it feels better to remember them, why I love them. That's what he does when thinking of his wife and daughter. I miss her raven black hair, he said, breaking the silence. Her eyes, the color of pine trees, he sighed. And most of all, her honeyed voice. The end. Honeyed voice means used. Honeyed voice is used to describe 
a voice that makes anything sound pleasant. Even when the person talking about, even when the topic the person is talking about is something negative. Um, I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I pronounced things wrong and stuttered here. Um, hopefully, you don't mind. Yeah, this is my short story. The Past Life of the Riddler Wyatt Finn Grant was a normal 14-year-old boy, but he was not but he has lots of trouble with sleeping for some reason. He constantly is in a sleep paralysis state, which makes him dread entering his bedroom. At school, he is teased for still sleeping with his parents. Today was no different. It was April 12, 2006. Wyatt came home after a day of torment at school, and he was exhausted. In a sleepy daze, he walked into his bedroom and dropped into his bed. Tonight was different. He had a great sleep with no nightmares. Then he woke up, but not in his room. He woke up and he was sitting on a velvet couch in a small room. There are no windows. Almost every wall was a bookshelf. The room contained two other couches, a small table in the middle of the room in a small fireplace, giving the room an orange glow. In front of the fireplace sat a person, but they had a floating triangle for a head. They were very pale. I even thought they were dead, but then it spoke. Hello, Wyatt. Sorry to ruin your good slumber, but I've been waiting to meet you for a long time, it said. Its voice was soft, yet dominant somehow. It sounded female. Her presence was calming. And who are you? And where am I? I asked. Ah, pardon my ignorance. I was very excited. I am the Riddler. And you're in my room. I look around once again. And in the couch in front of me, was a small serpent-like creature with wings. It just sat there staring at me. That's Serpeco. He's my pet. He has been with me for as long as I can remember. He was probably the only one I remember, said the Riddler, mumbling the last part. Why am I here? I asked. I need your help, you see. I am having troubles remembering my own life. In trade, I'll return you home and take your night hauntings, she replied. Why me? I asked. You're one of a billion kids I have been watching. Yet you are the only one who seems smart enough to help me. And yet, need help yourself. It's a fair trade. What do I have to do? I asked. 
Well, first, I have to test you. See if you can really help me. I am going to ask you two riddles. If you get both, you will be able to enter my memories and maybe bring forth my past life. You can have two hints. Do you accept? She asked. I sat there, compensating whether or whether not to accept. You must be starving, she said in an effort to break the silence. Here, have some food. At that moment, a bunch of delicious food appeared in front of me. Wyatt instantly dug in, enjoying every bite. Once he was finished, the Riddler gave him a blanket and pillow and tucked him into bed. Please sleep on it, you're my last hope. This was the best sleep he has ever had in... This was the best sleep he has ever had. Not like he was, not like he has ever done that before, but it felt so real. He felt the warmth and tasted the food. The next day, he had made up his mind. Wyatt wanted to sleep like this every night and help this nice woman. So, have you made up? Have you made your choice? The Riddler asked. Yes. I have actually. I will help you, I replied. She jumped she jumped up in glee when she suddenly seemed to remember something. She looked over to Wyatt and explained how if he answers the riddle wrong, there is a high chance he will die. Are you ready? she asked. I love challenges. So he said, You bet I am. The Riddler seemed surprised, as if she didn't expect this answer. She then snapped her finger and I was in a white room. This was the first riddle. There were three men in the room, all facing the same direction. So one man saw no one. The middle man only saw the first man, and the last man saw both of the men in front of him. In another corner were five hats, two white three black. As you can see, there are three men facing the same direction. In the corner over there, there are five hats. You place a hat on each man. And you ask the man if he knew knows what color his hat was. He did this. The first man in the back replied, No, I do not. He asked the man in the middle, and he replies, No, I do not know. You then ask the man, the first man, what color his hat was. He replies, I know. What does he know? How does he know the color of his hat? asked the Riddler. Wyatt sat there, thinking to himself, and asked the Riddler, The first man can see any, anyone or anything in front of him, right? Riddler then replied, Yes. He cannot see anything or anyone.
you have one question left. Wyatt then started deducting. The man in the front knew he had a black hat, since the last man did not see two white hats, and he knew that the middleman did not see a white hat, because if he saw a white hat, the second man would have known that his hat was black from hearing the last man's statement. White then explained his long deduction to the Riddler, and she replied, Wow, that was really quick. I expected you to take a little bit longer. Very well, you are correct. On to the next riddle. White blinked and found himself to be in the middle of a desert. There are two roads, one leading to an oasis, the other resulting in death. There are two men. One would lie to you and make you go on one would lie to you and make you go to to the road of death. The other will tell you the truth. You can only ask one man one question. Which road leads to the oasis? Wyatt stood there, staring at both men. They were identical, like as if they were identical twins. Wyatt sat there thinking of a good question, the Riddler watching him through the fireplace in a room. He sat there a bit longer than he did in the last riddle. He then stood up and asked one of the men a simple question. If I asked your friend over there, if this road was the road leading to the oasis, what would he say? The man replied he would say no. Wyatt looked up at the sky and shouted, This road leads to the oasis. The Riddler asked, How do you know this? Wyatt replied, Well, the only way I know who is telling the truth is if I ask if the sun is black or something. But that shouldn't help me know which way is to the oasis since I would have no more questions. So, if I ask any of them, even if it is the one who speaks the truth, I ask, the answer would have been the opposite. The whole place turned pitch dark and was uncomfortably silent. You are correct, she finally replied. Suddenly, he was back in the room of the Riddler, so Pecco staring at him once again. When you fall asleep, you will be able to enter my memories, she said. I laid down and prepared to go to sleep when she asked. Aren't you going to wait till later, I replied with. Better sooner than later, and throw her a quick smile. Her triangle head then starts to glow, making everyone in the room happy. I then fell asleep. I wake up and I... I'm not. I'm, I am a lot smaller than I remember. I try to look at my little body, and I see I have now become the pet snake thing.
but I can't seem to remember my, its name. I looked up and I see this woman fall down from the sky. We both crash through a tree stump and she ends up being stuck. I then see this big buff guy with hair reaching his shoulders and he was wearing a mask. He then pulls the woman out of the tree stump and I can now make out her features. She had long straight brown hair, black eyes that were deep set, big but perfect eyebrows. Her face shape was soft yet her jawline was sharp and her cheekbones were very defined. She introduces herself as Ingrid Aspen. I then find out she is a mechanic demon and just came here in her in her and just came here because in her original world she was a, she, in, she was in a race where she met a guy. This man's face was also soft and sharp. He had small thin lips, a cute tube, a cute tooth gap, and a decent sized nose. His eyes were almondish shaped and his eyes were the color of the ocean. His hair was short and wavy. He was a fake blonde. He was a very fit guy. <laughs> he basically looked the celebrity, looked like the celebrity Daniel C.V. Ingrid was in the race to get her crew and friends back. In the race, you can collect meteorite pieces, which each will give you a unique powerful power. The man who started the race took all the racer's meteorite pieces, making him very powerful. However, he wasn't able to get the man's meteorite piece. So instead, he took the powerful man. The man. During all this, Ingrid had fallen in love with the man. Then, her world reset and she landed here. I, snake was a lot bigger in the other world but seem I also reset the buff masked man turned out to be a fugitive named Prince Regan who was looking for an old friend Ingrid then found out he wasn't he hasn't named me yet so she named me Sorpeko I then followed her adventure where she got her old crew back I have been with Ingrid for a long time now. We ended up in a place where we fought a sand turtle in her past life. The whole land was covered in sand, and she had recently found out that the man she loved was alive, and was being used as a huge battery for a big weapon. Ingrid had to defeat a powerful creature from the void in order to go save her lover. The only way she was able to harm the void creature was using the light, and Ingrid was able to create a huge explosion of light, but it could harm her lover. She took the risk and defeated the creature, and was on her way to get her lover back. Then she woke. Then I woke up, surprised about how big of a mess her memories were. I then looked to my left where the Riddler was sitting in anticipation. Which life would you like to see now? I asked.
What life would you like to know? I asked. She seemed surprised. She seemed surprised to know that she had more than one life. She then asked me to tell them, tell her in order. But first, you were a normal human being. You had a crew. But you all died in an attempt to save the world. Thus, your crew was known as the failures. You were then in a race where you met your lover, who ended up being taken hostage and was then used as a powerful fuel in the new world. And I am not sure if you saved him. When I finished explaining all the little details to her, she seemed sad or upset. Then all of a sudden, she perked up, as if she remembered something. She jumped up and embraced me in a hug, and then whispered a simple, Thank you. I remember now. She snapped her fingers, and I suddenly seemed to wake up. But yet again, not in my room. I was in the hospital room, and my parents embraced me. It was a good, warm feeling, since I haven't seen them in months, years even. I was now home.